The race to find the perfect gift for that special someone is in full swing. How many of y'all have already started shopping? How many of y'all did Black Friday? Some of you? My wife and I were with some friends and, and there was not really a Black Friday. It was just three long days of shopping. And uh, it started on Thanksgiving and then went, I mean, it just kind of, it used to be you had Black Friday, then you had Cyber Monday. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people buying Christmas gifts in their pajamas right now. So uh, that's okay. But that's the whole race to get that perfect, that perfect gift is in full swing. And many families have started their tradition of shopping till you drop. And uh, after dropping my mother off in Spartanburg, after having her over for Thanksgiving one time, Donna informed me that she would like to have a paper to look through all of the ads. So I thought to myself, where in the world could I find an Anderson paper at 5 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day? So after making a, a few calls, we found a Greenville paper at the local gas station. And I was amazed when the clerk said that that'll be $3.50. What? $3.50. I could not believe my eyes when uh, when they said that. So uh, as we approached this time, I mean, they obviously knew that you were going to get that paper because it had all kinds of uh, ads and sales in it. But we're going to be talking this morning about an offer that does not expire. Well, it will expire one day uh, for everybody. But right now it is a, a special called salvation. It has come through Jesus Christ coming into this world as an infant nearly 20 centuries ago, the greatest of all miracles happened. God himself came to this earth in the form of an infant to provide salvation for all those who place their hope in it. Many of you here today know what that hope is because you have done that. Jesus, the Son of God, was 100% God, but he was also 100% man, 100% Human. He had blood going through his veins. He had organs like you have organs. And why? Because you and I are God's greatest creation. He made you and I. Why did God make us? God made us to love him. He created us with a hole in our soul that was only big enough for God himself to fill. And today this world is filled with people trying to cram it that, that hole in their lives with, with meaning and money and substances and bad relationships and selfish living that always leaves them empty wanting more because God created that place in your life for himself. He made you and I to love him and to worship him like we did just a few moments ago. But you see, the first mankind, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against him. And just went on and on. And God could have wiped us out and started over again. But he chose to redeem us through a man named Noah. Where you remember the flood wiped out everything except the remnant that was on the boat. Which was Noah's family. And so Noah paved the way for the Savior that we worship today. And my friend, let me tell you what. There is a great flood coming. But it is not of water. It is of fire. And there will be no remnants. It will be, he is back Game over, no respawns, no do-overs, that's it. He is coming back again, so we we celebrate Jesus' arrival today. 
But as we celebrate this over the next two weeks, we're going to look at two ways to look at the infant birth, the birth of a virgin, the birth of our Savior. And the first one today is looking at it from a view of unbelief. Nothing is impossible with God, but we have to get past our unbelief. So let's take a moment and read about the forerunner of Jesus, who is John, John the Baptist. You've heard much about him, and he's included starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So what we see here in this first couple of verses that Luke If you didn't know it, Luke is a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he is a physician. That's why if you go and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look at the accounts of the crucifixion, say, for example, his recounting of that is much more visceral, much more physical, much more in-depth, because it's written from the perspective of a physician. And as a physician, he was was raised and, and he was taught to investigate everything. And so Luke is writing this passage because there were all of these people saying what happened, but he wanted to write the definitive account of what that was. And we know it's definitive because it is included in our Bible that we read today. And then he says that he mentioned that he wrote this to somebody named Theophilus. Now, he does that one other place. He does that in the book of Acts. And now, Theophilus, it could be one of two things. It could be a a high-ranking Roman official that is a friend of his, that he is writing this for his benefit. But also, the term Theophilus means one who loves God. So it's very likely that this could be just kind of a, a generic For all of those who are believers, I'm writing this for you. But make no mistake, I don't want you to get bogged down in all that because this book, the book of Luke, was written for you. All you have to do is pull out your Bible, pull out your phone, wherever you can find a copy of words and read it because it was written. Just like I remember, it didn't happen that often, but every now and then when I got a letter from a girl in middle school, I read that thing backwards and forwards. No offense, honey. They meant nothing to me. But when you get a letter from somebody, you read that thing. Matter of fact, I think I don't. Maybe I never got one. Maybe that was a dream. Anyway, when you get a letter from somebody, you read it backwards, forwards, and you know what it says. This letter was written for you. This letter was written for me. And so as we continue reading, he says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Now, when it says the priestly line of Aaron, you may remember way back in the Old Testament when they were in the, the wilderness and God set up Aaron to be the priestly arm 
of the Israelites to be the priest to to start the Levites and to, and to be responsible for all the worship. So so these are preachers' kids. These are people that are still you know actively involved in leading people to know God better among the Israelites. And so it says that they were righteous. Look at verse six. They were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So one day, Zechariah was serving God, and the temple for his order was on duty that week, as was the custom of the priest. He was chosen by lot. In other words, they kind of, I won't call it gambling, but they threw dice to kind of see who was up. Harold, maybe we ought to try that with the ushers to see who's on next week. Just kind of cast lots, right? No, we ought to not do that. But that's the way they, that they were, they were chosen and they were on duty. So that seems like it would be kind of random, doesn't it? That they just cast the lots and it so, just so happens that Zechariah and his wife are, or Zechariah, not his wife too, but Zechariah was put on watch. Well, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So we see they were worshiping. They see they were, we see they were praying. In verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing right in front of the incense altar. Like, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if, if I were to be preaching and all of a sudden an angel would, would appear in the choir loft or an angel would come floating down off the balcony, we would probably notice it, wouldn't we? So they were in awe. Here they were. They were praying. They were worshiping. And then an angel appeared. But my friends, let me tell you something. An angel appearing would be amazing. But because of the work of the Holy Spirit, we have that very same power in this room at this moment. We don't need a visible sign of an angel because because of the Holy Spirit, he is here right now. And that's a side note, but let me get back to the passage here. So here's the thing. In verse 11, it says again, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Verse 12, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. I would say that's probably an appropriate response. Verse 11, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Woo! God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. And you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Wow, what a story. We see here that Zechariah and Elizabeth backed up their beliefs. When we just read in the, the passage a moment ago, when it says that they, that they were special and that they were righteous in God's eyes, what that meant was is that they were two people who said they were believers. One of them led others in worship and they actually were what they said. So my question is to myself and to you is that would God say that we are right in his eyes? Do we honestly live up to what we proclaim that we are? Zechariah and Elizabeth backed up their beliefs with action. Is it no wonder God chose them to bring John the Baptist into the world? The one that would usher in his son. 
Let me show you this up on the screen. God is looking to do the impossible with those whose faith matches their actions. This is significant. That if our faith matches our actions, God is looking to do the impossible in your life, in mine. The minute you say, God would never, whatever you say, God would never, never is not in God's vocabulary. God can do the impossible. And we see that He's done it here. We saw in verse 13 that God hears the prayers of His children who are in impossible positions. Look back at verse 13. It says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. So we see from that passage that being a father was a big deal to Zechariah. And he had been praying prayer after prayer after prayer until finally an angel said, God has heard your prayer. Some of you in here have seen the benefits of a long time prayer being answered. But quite honestly, some of you are still praying that prayer for whatever that is. And you think, well, I'm going to pray it, but it's never going to happen. Don't think that. God hears every prayer you utter up to him. Even the ones you don't utter up to Him and keep to yourself because the Holy Spirit is interceding for you on your behalf to God the Father. God answers prayers. And so God answered Zechariah's prayers. And Zechariah's answer would not only benefit his family, not only would he become a father to, and, and, and he would have a son to carry on the family tradition. No longer would Elizabeth be seen as second class citizens back in those days because she was barren. So now they have a child. He has a son and everything is great. And, and the thing that's going to be even greater than this is that we're about to read is that their son already has a purpose. We, we have no trouble visualizing and understanding that when Jesus was born of, of Mary, that he had some work to do. But John, we see here, was just as important. Because the name John meant, the Lord is gracious. And Jesus meant, the Lord saves. I want you to understand this. God obliterated the word impossible. God obliterated the word impossible because His mission does not know the word impossible. I'm sure there are a lot of people that still say today it was impossible for a virgin to have a boy. God does not know the word impossible. So folks, don't stop praying. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop seeking. It says in Matthew 7 verses 7 and 8, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door would be open i think of thomas edison who went through a thousand different patterns to create the light bulb what if he had stopped at 999 and said i'll forget it it's impossible somebody else would have beat him to the punch so we also see our second thing is that God sets each of us apart to complete his mission. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. He says, 
For he, talking about John, the baby, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit, the power of Elijah. And by the way, for Luke, this is the first time that the Holy Spirit is really mentioned in the book of Luke. But he would have the power of Elijah and he will prepare the people for the coming Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Folks, John was set apart for God's mission to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And that's all fine and well because we can hear that and we can go into vacation Bible school mode and we can think about that and say, that's nice, move on. But let me tell you something. You, Christian, are called to serve God. I am called to serve God, not because I'm a pastor, but because one day I pray Jesus Christ come into my life and make me your child. We all are set apart. You and I are set apart for God's mission as well. He calls you and I to be holy. He says, be holy, for I am holy. The Bible says that for a believer, our body is not our own because we are bought with a price. And that we are free to do whatever we want to do. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial or profitable. Let me show you this. God wants the best of you. Because he gave the best of himself. God wants the best of you because he gave the best of himself. What did God hold back for you or from you? Is there anything God has dangled in front of you and said, you can have everything but this? I believe sending his son to die for your sins and to die my sins is the whole ball of wax. Now there are some incidentals that we might want and and we're praying for and we're hoping for. But the fact that when the sky splits and Jesus Christ comes back and we are taken to heaven for eternity, that's a pretty big plus. And we all want to sing about heaven. We all want to think about heaven. But we've got to live on this earth right now. And if we don't live a life that is set apart and different from those that don't know God, how will they know the difference? The Bible says that for a believer, again, our body is not our own. Look, you can go out and do whatever you want to do with your body. But understand, if you are a believer, Jesus Christ is in there too. And whatever you do to yourself, you're doing to Him. Whatever you're looking at, He sees. Whatever you put in your body, He tastes. The way you act, He sees. But God wants the best of you because He gave the best of Himself. Believer, you and I are set apart to do God's impossible. But we have to place ourselves, our lives in a position to be able to do that. And we saw here that John was being compared to Elijah. So remember, within the Jewish realm of people, they were saying that that this baby is going to be a big deal. Probably more even than Simba on the Lion King. Did you see that they're coming out with a live action movie of that? And they're going to raise that baby up. And they're going to sing. It's going to be all cool and everything. 
But Sema, as cool as that story is, pales in comparison to the birth of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And John is given a lot of credit. And a lot, I mean, <laughs> if if your baby was born and automatically someone said one day your boy will be president, that would be pretty awesome. Or your 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 boy will be find the cure for cancer, or or your girl will be uh, a tech billionaire. You like, all right, yeah, let's go. But no, John was promised to, to do something very important: is to get the ready get the world ready for the Savior. John was a sign of hope for many in the Jewish faith. John, by him say, by them saying the Scripture saying that Elijah. The power of Elijah would be with him. They were saying that he is the long-awaited Messiah. But folks, he wasn't the long-awaited Messiah. He was just the guy that was going to get us ready. Then the third thing we see is that do not let your unbelief keep you from seeing God do the impossible. Do not let your unbelief keep you from seeing God do the impossible. There was an atheist... He was taking a walk through the woods and he was admiring the the beauty of the earth. And he thought, boy, what beautiful, majestic trees and and what powerful rivers and, and what beautiful animals that are all around, he was saying to himself. So as he was walking along the riverbed, he heard rustling in the bushes behind him. He turned to look and saw a two meter long bear, big bear. And so, of course, that bear was running towards him, so the man was running as fast as he could. So he looked over his shoulder and saw that the bear was gaining on him. He ran harder. The bear got closer. He ran even harder, and the bear got closer until finally he looked back with his heart was pumping. He, he tried to run even faster, but he tripped and fell over the ground. And so as he looked up, he saw that... The bear was reaching his left paw at him because that bear, I guess, was getting ready to have lunch. And so all of a sudden, this atheist that supposedly doesn't believe in God said, oh, my God. And at that time, everything stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. The river even stopped moving. Then a voice came out of the sky and says, you deny my existence. For all these years, and you teach others that I don't exist, and even credit creation to some cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? Then the atheist looked directly into the light and said, It would be hypocritical hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian. But now perhaps maybe you can make the bear a Christian. Very well, the voice said. The light went out, the river began to run, and the forest sounds resumed, and the bear stopped his attack. Still luring over the man, the bear dropped its paw, then raised it again, then he added his other paw, and he did this. And he prayed, Dear Lord, for this food which I am about to receive, I am truly thankful. Amen. That man's unbelief, that man's unbelief led to his demise. 
And there will be people that on the day of judgment that they were blind, spiritually blind. They were not allowed to see what was for them. They were not able to see it, nor did they want to see what God had for them. And they just decided they would not be believers. One day they will be given the truth and they will see what their unbelief kept them from. Now, with that said, let's look at what unbelief did for Zacharias, starting in verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, now remember, the angel had just appeared in their prayer service. Zacharias said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. So there you again. I'm too old for this. Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Boy, that was one big game of charades, wasn't it? When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace. Of having no children. What was Zachariah's biggest problem? If you go back and look at verse 18 again, the first question Zachariah asks is how? The angel just said what God is going to do, and then Zachariah said, How? The unbelief crept in, the doubting of faith crept in. So when God says He's going to do something for you, our natural reaction says, well, well, how are you going to do it? And a lot of times, God's not going to tell us. Why is that? God gives us just enough to take our next step of faith. Because if he doesn't do that, we won't exercise any faith at all. Zechariah chose, when God gave him a message to the angel, Zechariah chose to focus on himself in his inabilities, rather than God in his abilities. If you keep focusing on what you can and can't do, you will never see God do the impossible in your life. Because it's not about you. It's about God. It's about Him. So stop focusing on yourself and focus on God if you want to see Him do the impossible in your life. And the thing is with God, you can have complete confidence in him and I would close with this the only way to stop unbelief is to believe that sounds really uh, simplistic doesn't it but it's the truth the only way to stop unbelief is to believe someday you are just going to have to take that leap of faith just like there was one day when I thought I have made a mess of my life and I have no hope and I, I I've heard all of this stuff about Jesus. I've gone to church, but I've never really had a relationship with him. And I feel the Holy Spirit. So yes, I'll do it. I'm tired of running. Raise my hand. And I, I prayed and I got discipled and I haven't turned back since. 
Let me tell you something. If living my life like I was before I was a Christian was so good, why haven't I gone back? Why haven't you gone back? Because life with God is much better than life without Him. You say God has not done the impossible in your life. How about the fact that He saved you from hell? And He gives you the hope of heaven. How about giving you the opportunity to share your faith? How about... Giving you your next breath. Are these things that God does? Absolutely. How about having people to share your life with? Folks, do not let your unbelief in God make you lose sight of what God wants you to do in your life. He wants you to do what you think is impossible. And whatever that is, it may be serving someone that may be Going on the mission field or maybe just being the best mother or father you can be. The best grandmother, the best friend, the best neighbor. Maybe for somebody in here, they, they have been fighting a true decision to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe today is the impossible. I don't know. You know. But if the Lord is leading you to accept Him as His Savior and Lord. If He's leading you to do something that you feel like you cannot do and you want prayer. If you just want to come to the altars and pray for yourself. Or maybe someone wants to join this church. Whatever this invitation is, let God do the impossible in you today. Because if He's pulling at your heart now, I'm not guaranteeing it will happen once you walk out these doors. The Holy Spirit is a timing thing. And it's His timing, not mine. Believe it or not, God does show up more than just 9.30 and 10.30 on Sunday mornings. He's everywhere. So stand. If you have a decision, may you make it today.